Sammy and McLean, founder of Flow Group and Greenline Conversations. This podcast has grown out of the chaos that's been thrust upon us. And in it, I share the best of 25 years of helping leaders in business organizations deal and cope with change. So, as you're out there, busy making sense of it all, trying to cope and repurposing your organizations, I'm hoping that some of this will provide some help some of the time. I'll keep it deliberately short because I know you're busy. Let's dive in. Today's episode has been recorded deep from the heart of our headquarter building at Flow Group in Temple Bar, Dublin. So if there are some colourful or more colourful than usual sounds in the background, it is only and simply because of the change of location. In service of trying to rush this episode to you, given the context and the live nature of how events have transpired. In the almost 30 years of practicing the craft, I've witnessed three major global economic reversals, and they've roughly come at intervals of 10 years. The first that I experienced firsthand was the dot-com crash round about the turn of the century into the early 2000s. Then we had the financial crash roughly a decade later. And then more recently, a decade later again, we had the outbreak of the COVID pandemic. What characterized each of these was the global repercussions and more than that, from a leadership perspective, because that's the focus here, they all provided a Waterloo type scenario for the leaders at the helm. What each of these major, global, unanticipated disruptions had in common was that they bred uncertainty. Uncertainty causes people to trigger and hijack and puts them on a limbic war footing. And whilst the origin and the nature of each of these Waterloo scenarios for leaders was different in and of itself, it produced exactly the same impact where I was able to witness firsthand the best of leadership, and at the same time accompanied by the worst of leadership. And not surprisingly, because it provides leaders with an unorthodox set of conditions that they have to manage. And as Warren Buffett once put it in a different context, it's only really when the tide goes out that you see who's been swimming in the nude. Last week, the tech sector, which has been for the last 20 years the poster child for economic growth, began to unravel with the announcement globally, among some of its biggest names, of mass redundancies. And for those at the helm of these huge monolithic companies, their leadership reputation or their legacy is not going to be judged on how they've shown up so far in the 95% moments or in the good times, but they're going to be judged by how they show up in the 5% moments, because these are the moments that matter most. And how you show up in the moments that matter most for other people is going to determine how you'll be viewed by history. The standout event and the focus and purpose of this whole podcast episode 
is the coincidental release of a memo by both Twitter and Stripe at almost exactly the same time to announce the fact that they were making redundancies amongst their workforce. The contrast between the two memos is almost visible in its extreme. And before I get to that, I just want to recap on one of the episodes we covered earlier, which was around what actually leadership is and viewing leadership as a contribution. The leadership contribution is made up of two things. The first thing is the leader needs to set the direction for where things are going. Because if the leader doesn't do it, then nobody does it. And in doing that, the leader needs to make tough decisions and tough calls very often with incomplete information and uncertain surrounding conditions. So they need to set the direction, they need to call the shot, and they need to make a decision. And the one thing that's common to both memos is that both leaders did exactly that. They called the shot, they made the decision, and they made an announcement. But the second and equally critical part of the leadership contribution is that as well as taking the action and calling the shot, you need to get people to buy in and bring people along with that decision. And here is exactly where the memos from Stripe and Twitter diverge. The first clue is ironically at the very end of each memo in the signature. The Stripe signature is signed Patrick and John, meaning the two Collison brothers who co-founded the business, whilst the Twitter memo is simply signed Twitter. The Twitter memo is terse, limp and impersonal. And frankly, any basic AI program would have done a better job. The memo itself was dispatched to the private email addresses of the employees because many of the employees had had their system access denied to their work emails and their Slack accounts. The Twitter memo was also accompanied by a void of communication, causing one Twitter employee to po who still had access to his company Slack account to post a picture of a skeleton with the caption, me waiting for an update from leadership. Which was inevitably going to take a while, given that the executive team had been totally cleared out in the previous days. Another employee, anonymously quoted in the Washington Post, described it as all working for the Trump White House alluding to the chaos and uncertainty in the present environment. It has led to many employees resorting to Blind, which is an anonymous workplace gossip site used by many in Silicon Valley as the only or the best place to find out what's actually going on in the company. So in summary, Elon Musk 
pays $44 billion for the company, decides to let go of 50% of the workforce, and this is how it's managed and executed. Now, having been through this, as I mentioned at the top of the program, many times, particularly during the Waterloo events that have happened over the last 30 years, this is a really challenging and trying time for leaders. So this isn't easy to get right. But if you contrast the Twitter approach and Musk's approach with how Patrick Collison, particularly, and the memo that was released by Stripe at roughly the same time and how they handled it, you'll see that there are so many things that were done by Stripe. There are at least seven things that Patrick Collison managed to do in the Stripe memo that helped with getting the buy-in and making it more palatable for people to accept and go along with the tough and harsh decision that leadership had to make. First thing is that he got straight to the message. He said, today we're announcing the hardest change we have ever had to make at Stripe. We're reducing the size of our team by around 14%. They're the opening two sentences. The second thing was immediate and decisive action. A notification email will be sent within 15 minutes of receiving this memo. And within one day, there will be a live one-to-one conversation with your manager. The third thing is he took full responsibility for the decision. John and I, his brother, are fully responsible for the decisions leading up to this. No fudging, no deflecting, no passing the buck, no blaming external circumstances. We are taking accountability for this decision. Those first three items are all condensed into the very first paragraph of the memo. He then goes on to paint the picture of the context that has led up to and why this decision is necessary and what's led to it. He follows that by explaining the terms of severance and what to expect from that, the terms of which are extremely generous relative to what would have been either statutory or mandatory. In the penultimate paragraph of the memo, he puts his hands up and says that leaders, the leaders got it wrong. We made misjudgments, we made miscalculations, and he took full blame for the decisions that led to the situation which has led to the need for the layoffs. In the final paragraph, he closes by saying that the priority at this very moment is for those who are leaving, but not to neglect those who are staying, and that the remainers, the attention will go and the focus will go on to them next week so that they're included and not left out in the cold. Now look at the situation through the lens of the employee. The employee is scared, is limbically triggered, is desperately looking for information and answers to understand what's happening now and what's happening next. That's their situation. 
and now reflect on the memo itself. Do they want people pussyfooting around or do they want the message straight? Are they going to thank you for taking immediate and decisive action? Are they going to respect the fact that you're taking full accountability and that you're owning the decision? Are they going to appreciate that you are providing context and rationale for why this is important and why it's happening? Are they going to want to know what happens next and what is going to be their deal from now on? Are they going to feel some comfort in the fact that you're human and that you made decisions that at the time seemed logical, but in the fullness of time have turned out not to be so? And are they going to grant grace for the fact that you're going to deal with the people who are most affected now, meaning those who are losing their jobs, and that in a very short amount of time, you're going to be able to give more information as to what it means for those who are staying, but that that's the next step. As a leader, in really difficult times, in Waterloo moments, in 5% moments, it is easy to take the hard decisions, although not all leaders take them. The harder part is in bringing people along with you. And the lessons built into these two memos is that you first of all got to put yourself in the other person's shoes, those who are affected and those who are impacted. Look at it from their position and try to anticipate what they're going to need, what they're going to look for, and fill that gap. That's how we get the buy-in and bring people with us. But in order to do that, you've got to care. You know, it's in these 5% moments, the Waterloo events, the moments that really matter, where leadership's reputations are minted. The fact that it's Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, that is CEO or chief twit. A Twitter is probably material in this case. Maybe he doesn't need to care because he's unaccountable in a way to governments, to laws, to other people. But most of the leaders that I know and that I work with, like yourselves, don't have the luxury of going to another planet on a rocket ship. They're stuck in this world. And in this world, your leadership is judged by the impact you have and your ability to bring other people with you, as opposed to alien, ate them. One of Musk's favorite t-shirts is a black t-shirt with the words, Occupy Mars, written on the front. Maybe leadership is judged differently there. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane. Stay connected.